0: Z of UK TV Drama with Andy and Martin. Hello and welcome back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me Andy. And me Martin, hello. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, okay. Um, it is currently,
1: when is it? I don't even know when it is. It's the 23rd of July. Well done. I'm on holiday. I'm not really supposed to be here.
0: No, you've got a special <laughs> note from your mum, haven't you? Uh,
1: I've indeed saying I'm allowed to go online for a morning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, i understand i actually do understand sometimes needing to have a proper break from to world yeah is, is is a good idea but uh, we'd we we'd scheduled this and it needed it needed dropping in so, so i saw i got special dispensation
0: but but today is also 19th of september for our for our listeners so
1: good lord is it really <laughs> where did the year go <laughs>
0: yeah exactly
1: oh uh, at so, some some point around then i'll be able to have a haircut <laughs> wow
0: Oh, i I've grown
1: my flowing locks oh, in, in tribute to the programme we're doing today. Oh, I see. <laughs> it's all in keeping. Well done. No, so, absolutely. Absolutely. So we have reached letter O. What does that mean? Oh. Oh, well, in, in this case, it means Peter Flannery's epic nine-part uh, BBC dramatisation of Our Friends in the North, um, which was uh, broadcast uh, January to March 1996 and is our first series based upon a stage play. Oh,
0: that's good. That's a good fact. I like that fact to start off with. I've got one thing I want to say to you, Martin, and that is, How do we end shape, man? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, of course, I, I can't possibly do any accents because this is your neck of the woods, isn't it?
0: It totally is. In fact, I yeah. lived in Newcastle from, and near, well, nearby from about 75 um, to 88. So honestly, oh, nice. some of this was kind of very close, and as I will relate. <laughs> Indeed. So I should basically
1: shut up and just let you get on with it. No,
0: not at all. I'm not saying
1: that. I'm just saying some of it is very, um, very relatable. Yeah. But obviously a, a, a series that uh, claims to be about North. Yes. But obviously large chunks of it do feature London. That London.
0: Yes. And there's an interesting, that that relationship between London and Newcastle and the lack of relationship between London and Newcastle is actually a, a f- part of the series, it's actually something that's yes. deliberate. Um, yes. And how Newcastle always has felt so separate. And, Indeed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Would you like to do a quick synopsis to give people an idea of the series we're talking about? I thought
0: about? I'd just give the one that the producer, Charlie Patterson, gave, uh, which is The heart of this magnificent tale is a simple story of four friends who grew up and apart, and albeit briefly, together again. It's the story of parents and their children, of families and generations torn apart. And it's the story of a passionate 30-year relationship between a man who dreams of changing the world and the woman he loves.
1: Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: I kind of felt a bit like that myself. <laughs> I felt that was too
1: Nicky-centric
0: for a start. and I also oh, well,
1: I, 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 I need to do some more research now. I <laughs> just realised I've got it all wrong.
0: <laughs> and I also felt that it wasn't just about that love story at all. And it was really about social change the, the the promise of the labour movement and mm. the the lack of delivery on that promise, about housing mm. policy, about... Oh, so much. More than that. Well, it is interesting. <laughs> I, 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 I,
1: I i look at... Um, I mean, the, the way it's promoted is always it's about these four actors who are Christopher Eccleston, Gina McKee, Daniel Craig and Mark Strong. Yes. And they are basically, apart from one other actor, the only actors who appear in the title sequence. But actually you could argue that the stories being told, for example, David Bradley's story, Peter Vaughan's story, they're both key characters throughout the whole, pretty much the whole thing. So actually, in some ways, those characters, even um, Malcolm uh, McDowell's character, all sort of have you feel it should really be about seven or eight people in many ways it's not actually about those four people specifically also you would say i would say that there's an awful lot of um the, one of the threads throughout the thing is police corruption
0: oh, of course yeah
1: one of the th- th- threads throughout the thing is housing policy
0: yeah
1: and obviously political policy yeah yeah. Uh, so so in many ways perhaps if you tried to sell it on it's it's an it's a nine-part epic about housing policy people might (laughs) not have tuned in well that's exactly what peter flannery did at various parts and the various people
0: at the bbc thought it was that and they kept spinning it in different ways in order to sell it and finally after Mm. 14 years of attempting to get on the screen they got there Mm. but i think um maybe he wasn't canny enough or people weren't canny enough about how you sell a serial. A I don't know. It depends on the culture of the BBC at the time, I guess, and what, what would tick the boxes.
1: It is also quite interesting uh, that the original stage play was written more or less at about the time of um, the end of the episode six, which is where the play finishes. The play itself finishes in 1979. yeah, And then there are three more episodes Over the next uh, fifteen years of the story, and obviously that almost that reflects the amount of time it took to get the story to the screen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so 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 it's kind of like these final sort of three. They're almost like a coda in many ways because they are taken much further apart in the timeline. I mean, the first three episodes are basically not quite three consecutive years, but pretty close. And then the rest of the 30 years takes place, you know, in, in the other six episodes. So. Yeah.
0: And another thing I want to throw into the mix is that I first watched this when I was 24, and it's actually literally half my lifetime ago that I first watched it. So now I'm 48, so I think that's an interesting... Thing, how do I feel about it when I first watched it? How do I feel about it mm. now? And I think I'd like us to draw on how. Oh well, actually, I need to know from you when. When did you first see it?
1: Uh, all the way through. Yeah. Last week. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> so...
2: <laughs> okay. I, I, I have no idea. Okay. I, I was.
1: A, I was in a very. Uh, <clears throat> in 1996, I was in a very strange situation in my life, and I was. I was living in a shared house, and it was a very complicated, uh, setup. And I did. I'm pretty sure because I was quite a big BBC fan in those days, and they were, and this was being pushed as a, you know, a landmark drama, and you know, the sit down must see. I'm fairly sure I watched the first one. Fairly sure. I may even have been out, came back in, and the first one was on. It might have been on a night I was going off to doing some night school. You know, literally, I can't remember watching all of it at the time. I can remember watching some of it at the time. So I think it's not that it didn't grip me, I just had too much else going on. And in those days, I didn't, you know, I, I mean, I might, I might have recorded certain shows, but I didn't record everything. So I, I don't, I genuinely don't think I saw it, or a lot of it surprised me this time. I mean, I've seen obviously over the, in the intervening 24 years, I've seen clips, I've seen, uh, you know, the the amusing photographs of Daniel Craig in a massive wig, Um, (laughs) which we'll come on to. But um, the actual series itself, I genuinely don't think I watched it at the time. But then again, I've got I've got form on that because I've never seen um, what's that one about the lawyers? This life, never seen this life. Either.
0: Yeah, it's not quite in the same league as our friends. I wouldn't say, but hey. No, no, I, I'm just saying there are the, the, yeah. these, these the things gaps.
1: that people say. Yeah. Rep- I literally have, for some reason, I've maybe I've just spent all my, all my time sort of looking in the in the deep and dis- dismal past, and you know, I'd, I'd rather watch old episodes of The Prisoner. I literally don't know, but. um for some reason, maybe maybe I got the impression it was too worthy for me at that time. I literally don't know. Or maybe, like I say, there was just too much going on. But at the time, I missed it.
2: Yeah.
0: So I would like to get into some of the, the background in a bit more detail before we start delving into the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this quote from Christopher Eggleston, which is the kind of demanding high-quality drama, which isn't heritage-style theme park television, which had been missing from British TV. Ooh. Yes. And from Peter Flannery, Um, Peter Flannery said, um, large scale original drama serials take a lot of time, money and commitment. I think this I think the drama serial was really one of Britain's greatest cultural inventions in the last century. It is now all but eclipsed by the series form by the long runners and the soaps dramas Mm. that refuse to end. It's like watching loads of talented writers, actors, producers and TV executives who appear to have contracted Alzheimer's and forgotten that they've already said and done all this. To be useful to an audience, a story has to end. It is the basic duty of a story. Um, And I find that interesting. I thought I should read that out because this is a TV drama podcast and really Mm. we're talking about TV drama serials. Yeah, there's Mm. some series you could argue, which, you know, longer runners, but Mm. yeah, it's it's interesting, this idea that you have to have an ending for a story to be a story. I just thought it was an interesting Mm. angle. And also just Mm. the fact that the chances of something like this being made, I think, at any time, are quite slight.
1: <laughs> hmm. Well, you could argue, of course, that if if the stage play is the story, why does it carry on for the second, the the last third of the story? Um, equally, does the story really end on screen? Because it's it's a very open ended ending, really, in that sense. Certainly, in terms of of one of the characters, and if well, at least one of the characters. I think that feels deliberate to me because
0: I think the writer is very much um, showing a passage of time, but also very keenly making a point about how history repeats itself continually. And you just, it's this waxing and waning that we keep seeing in all these drama series of times of good, times of bad, um, but all the way throughout corruption. And I think that's why it's hard to have a, a firm ending to this, because he's not a trite writer. He would never say, and now we're in this phase of glory and everything's going to be okay it's utopia <laughs> yeah it's never going to happen we're currently living in, yes. yeah exactly
1: I, I mean it's interesting actually because I, I do feel that if those last three episodes were written for to cover the period of the production you almost feel i would quite happily have a follow-up now or a follow-up that that sort of maybe dropped in in the the blair election dropped in in you know 97 dropped in again in the in the sort of early part of the first decade of this century. Well, Eccleston's
0: been after it. He's been talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a few years ago, I think it was 2015, he was saying he's really keen to do some follow-up episodes, which I think Mm. I could see it happening. Mm. But I, I don't think it would actually, in terms of themes, I'm not sure it would actually take us... I don't think the the story would take us anywhere new because it would just be the same things happening in the same. Well, yes, he's also
1: he, <laughs> yes, he's also now the same age as he was playing yes. in the last episode. I know, exactly. which is which is kind of weird because he looks nothing like the, the made up version of himself, really. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. <clears throat> but anyway, we have four leads. We do. Should we briefly touch on who plays who? Or, yeah. Um...
0: So we've got we've got Christopher Eccleston as Nicky Hutchinson. Um, He was Mm -hmm. straight out of Cracker and also Shallow Grave, which, Mm. by the way, Shallow Grave, Danny Boyle, we could have had a very different series because Danny Boyle was originally slated to direct it all, but Mm -hmm. um, Shallow Grave was suddenly too successful, so he pulled out Mm -hmm. three weeks before production.
1: he has got form with it? Yeah,
0: (laughs) but I think it was Danny got to got Chris to stand to you know to go up Mm. for it. Yeah,
1: we've got uh, the uh, Mr. James Bond. Daniel Craig uh, in a I'm not sure how, how early in his career this is I but it's it's, early. it's um, yeah. yeah but he, he, he uh, weirdly doesn't appear in one of the episodes at all which I find slightly bizarre considering oh, I didn't think that I just thought it was deliberate because he's meant to fall out yeah. of view oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I just I just mean in terms of, of when you're tracing the four characters okay. through time it, it just seems peculiar that one quarter of them doesn't feature at all in one of the episodes. It's... it's um... They right, need to punch your card for don't they, Martin? <laughs> you're like, you must well, all be present! <laughs> well, you know, you're on the credits, man. <laughs> your photo's there. If I can't have a photo of Peter Vaughan in me credits...
0: <laughs> wow. OK, then you've got um, Gina McKee as Mary Cox. What always annoys Indeed. me, and I'm just going to say this right now, is that... Um, mm-hmm. She's always the fourth person to be mentioned and yes. Gina McKee is brilliant and she thoroughly mm-hmm. deserved the best actress BAFTA. Um, mm-hmm. Chris Eccleston and Peter Vaughan were both nominated for Best Actor, but mm-hmm. she was the only one who won for her
1: acting for mm-hmm. the series. So you've got Mary. Which yeah. actually does make sense, to be fair. <clears throat> yeah. I mean not, not least perhaps that, that there are far more meaty roles for gentlemen.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and and so maybe the competition wasn't that great, but it's also a bloody good performance, yeah. and that's the point. The I've got a Gina McKee story, I can tell you. Gosh, if I had my bell, I could ring it. Ting, ting. It's not a very, very good, uh, Gina McKee story. It's just unless, <clears> unless I she's tell. your auntie, I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, fair enough, then go. Come on, once upon a long ago, I was a bit drunk. And I was coming back from a, an Alexi Sale book signing. Of there course, you as you do. Uh, as you do in Manchester. And I saw this uh, woman standing waiting for a taxi who I thought I knew. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, I know her from a party I went to in Levenjum. <laughs> I was convinced I'd talked to this woman at a party, so I just thought, oh, I'll just go over and say hello, because she's not... <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's Gina McKee. <laughs> Who look, quite frankly, terrified <laughs> at this Trump. <laughs> oh, and that, I'm afraid, is possibly my only celebrity anecdote I can tell in all of this series. Oh, I but know. you've been
0: waiting on that one. That was worth the wait, mate.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Absolutely aghast. I terrified
0: Gina McKee.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Poor love. <laughs> it was a fact that I, I know, I've definitely talked to her. I, I was talking to her at a party a few weeks ago. I'm sure I know her from Levenge. <sighs> oh very oh, weird how funny.
0: and then you've got Mark Strong as Tosca Terry, <clears throat> indeed who uh, Teddy yeah he's yeah. the fourth member of the yeah the quartet who
1: apparently according to Christopher Eccleston's uh, memoir r- they really didn't get on
0: no well I've heard this they... from newspapers but if it's in his memoir it's even more true I suppose
1: yeah, I actually think it's, uh, it's possibly I mean I, I would argue because I will um, that it's possibly more to do with the uh, the method, if you like. They were supposed to be antagonistic. Yeah, uh, but, but I, saw an inter-
0: characters. I saw an interview with Mark Strong saying. I used to tell myself during production that it was just <laughs> his way of just keeping our characters apart because their characters weren't meant to like each other. And they said, and then it dawned on me, he just doesn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was a really good little anecdote from Mark Strong. <laughs> oh, well, fair enough. There we go. Anyway,
1: apparently they didn't get on much. But uh, No. But it's, uh, but, but you <laughs> know, there we go. But I think that's what's something that Chris
0: Eccleston delights in, <clears throat> because he's not interested in whether people get on with each other, he's interested in no. the work. And whether, the whether what what comes out is the best it can be, so it's not wouldn't have been his priority to befriend everyone on set at all. No,
1: and I think that's... he's also. Um, I mean, he sa- he says himself he was going through a lot of depression and uh, anorexia and things about that time. Oh so, really? So I mean, there there the, the, there are lots of other issues. I mean, the book is actually very good. It's it's worth a read. What's it called again? Um, I love the bones of you. Oh yeah. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a good book I, enjoy, I enjoyed it, I read it a few weeks ago And it's uh, another one that had been on the shelf for a while But um, Can I say a bit more about Peter Flannery Before we
0: delve in You may So he was born in Jarrow in 1951 Which is a suburb of Newcastle And of course famous for the Jarrow March Which features in here um, Other TV, The Devil's Whore Inspector George Gently And a Poirot, he did Third Girl He adapted, which I didn't know um, And he was a resident writer For the RSC and having watched a lot of these plays, he thought, I could have a go at a bit of a State of the Nation sort of thing. I've seen all these all these Enries and all these other Shakespeare... That Shakespeare, Shakespeare bloke yeah, yeah. wrote a
1: few epics. Yeah. I'll have a go. <laughs>
0: I'll have a go. And one, the first thing he did was call up T. Dan Smith, who is known as Mr. Newcastle, uh, who kind of was responsible for the regeneration of Newcastle in the 70s and 80s and got everything going, and is effectively Austin Donoghue. And... And ended up doing time in prison and everything. And he said, this is the story I want to tell about Newcastle. Obviously, you would be a character in this. How do you feel about it? And apparently he said, I can see this This would be a play of Shakespearean proportions. And he, he backed it fully. Fair enough. Yeah. So, um, but this fact of having real life characters um, in it and the danger of being sued for what was being said was a problem all the way through and I think it's one of the reasons why it took so long to get to the screen that there was a lot of like, you know, we're worried about people suing us and there was even talk at one point about setting it in a in a in a parallel universe where England is called Albion and all this weirdness which I think that would have been
1: freakish. Yes Yeah, I don't think it would have been right. But Well I think... no, I mean the 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 shall we say the brutal reality of some of the later episodes might have been undermined by that. Yeah. But fascinatingly, Peter Flannery didn't think it should be a
0: TV series once that idea was floated by Michael Waring. Michael Waring, Mm. we should talk about, producer of Edge of Darkness, Mm. The History Man, which we've Mm. already both done. Oh, yes, lots of of connections coming up. (laughs) But he was inspired in thinking it could be an epic TV drama serial, and he cited Heimat as his main inspiration for the idea you could have a really in-depth... Um, drama series. Analysis. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, it famously took half the drama budget of a year, didn't it? Yeah,
0: totally. um, It had to
1: succeed. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think, really, I know, I know it's weird because obviously we've been doing this, but I've been trying to think of, of, of the years before and after it. And, and, you know, because 1996, when this was on, was also, I mean, it was the year of the be, uh, the Doctor Who co-production but the, what, I'm trying to think of any other big dramas slightly before and slightly after and I've not done that research so I think I'm honestly that, myself it was here.
0: in a period of really very little going on I mean I remember mm. it was things like peak practice and all this crap mm. it was very <laughs> unchallenging un- TV it really was mm. and I think that's why I really went whoa this is something it felt really mm. on it and like this was saying something And one thing that Chris Eccleston said was he said then that Dennis Potter had said that TV was the nation talking to itself. And what Chris Eccleston said, he took that and said this is exactly what he felt Our Friends was. It was the nation talking to to itself about what it had been for the last 30 years. And I think that's why it's so strong. I should say, I do think it's one of the most accomplished drama series of all time. I haven't said that yet. Well,
1: (laughs) yes. And ultimately... uh... How can I put this in, in in tactful terms that won't upset people again? Um, in many ways, it's political drama done right, and we've already touched upon in a, in another episode a, a, a political drama that felt not right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm
0: glad you've said it, because because we, we've been critiqued as if, as if it was just me criticising it,
2: when you well, also criticised Well, no, I mean, it. it's,
1: it's, <laughs> I, I mean, it's interesting, because uh, if we start connecting the dots between some of the uh, series we've already covered in this series, mm. which was never the plan, really, but you start to see the, the little bits of corruption that turn up in Edge of Darkness. Mm. So that's the theme of, of that era, but also the little bits of council corruption that turn up in the Bidebeck affair. Yeah, you know, mm. you start to see that these these threads are starting to pull together, you know. And in many ways, all of the threads of all the stories well, not all the story, many of the stories we've looked at so far in this series start to come together. And I think this is because in our friends in the north. And I
0: think this is because
1: corruption is always
0: with us, and it's something that's. It's an obvious thing for writers to write about. Particularly I think in the seventies and eighties, at a point at which it would start to become burgeoningly clear that this is this is part of our lives. I mean, we're at a completely new zenith of that right now.
1: <laughs> but it's kind of like oh God, yes. it's
0: it's interesting. Well you could again, you look at it
1: now, I mean ninety six when this was broadcast was the absolute arse end of the major years. Yeah. And while and whilst major is now starting to look like one of the Shining lights of politics. Yes, exactly. Was, One of the good guys, 30, almost. Almost all, all thirty years. Yeah. Uh, a lot. A lot of his, um, I could say, presidency. His, uh, uh, the parliament. His government yeah. was 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 tainted by lots of scandals. Yeah. And of course, coming out of the um, thirteen years of that woman. <laughs> exactly that woman. Um, you know. It actually, you do start to think that maybe the BBC could never have made this series at any other time. Yeah, because actually, uh,
2: true, In possi- terms of- possibly
1: riding the wave of New Labour, they might have got away with it. But yeah, but um, but certainly now they would be absolutely slammed for for attempting to make a drama like this. They yes. would just say it was all, all anti-government, lefty nonsense.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, rather than actually just a depiction of a history. Yes, obviously, Mm. there's there's Labour leanings in it, but it's also very clearly saying there's a lot wrong with Labour and the infighting. And it recognises it all from a good perspective of, you know, it's not perfect anywhere. And we get Mm. that woman, actually. We don't we we actually get Thatcher with her learn again to be one nation speech. I found it particularly hard watching the speeches in this because. It's the same old twaddle, recycled forever, mm-hmm. but now we're at a point where it's just impossible to stomach any of it anymore. Mm. And I just wonder and worry how we can ever regain any sort of political landscape that has any sort mm. of
1: credibility. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Well, <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually difficult in, in, in any, any drama. I mean, to a certain extent, all sorts of... TV series have to do this. They fictionalise, which means you have events in history, but but you put fake MPs in it. You put fake you know P- MPs that didn't exist. You sometimes have to mention uh, constituencies that do not actually really exist, uh, which kind of can in some ways diminish it. But if you actually sort of in you didn't call your MP your councillor Eddie Wells, but called him you know Mr Real Person you know you called him John Prescott or whoever it would have um it would have immediately devalued it would have made the drama less plausible I think because because the the outrage of the real people because again near history is very difficult to dramatize without people getting uh litigious (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah yeah you know so it's a very difficult. It's a fine line. So it goes. So when even in you look back at the '60s, when Mission Impossible were off to the 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 the, the country of here yeah, to to go and uh, bring down their um their African prince, and you go, I don't know where up is, <laughs> yes. but but is, but, it, is it near but, Moldavia? <laughs> yes, and, and and all and all these these middle uh, Middle Eastern. Principality, <laughs> which all we'll had people waving big swords about. You know, it's very difficult to do that in your own country yeah. when you're dealing with living history. But the only way to tell those stories is to fictionalise them. But you have to fictionalise them in context. Yeah. So, episode eight is it episode seven or eight? The the the, the miners' strike episode, which is brutal to yeah. watch. Yeah.
0: yeah, episode seven is, is
1: more is many ways more brutal because it's it's set in the real world and yet it's sort of. It removed enough from it for people not to get too engaged with it. If you see what I mean, oh, wow. it's a fictionalized account of lots of things that were going on. Yeah,
0: I kind of know what you mean, but I kind of felt like that was very redolent, and very of. I mean, the key thing about the minor strike episode is that it was from the from a perspective that wasn't given by the news at the time. Oh God, yes, Because absolutely. the news at oh. the time was all these miners are evil and they're doing the wrong thing, rather than. This whole society, these communities are being completely shafted by, you know, by the government and this police brutality and all the stuff that we weren't hearing about. Um, Mm. Because, I mean, I lived in Newcastle at the time and I remember us Mm. going to the theatre one in 1984 Christmas. And Mm. I remember going, it was afternoon because we got to the theatre early. And I remember Mm. seeing, we may have even been to see a matinee, but anyway, we passed two buses carrying miners who were going to cross the picket mm. and mm. the the buses i remember i was really frightened by it because the buses were covered by um wire on the windows so mm. that the picket line um miners couldn't smash the windows mm. in and i just remember being wow wow i i remember thinking this is a an important historical moment that i'm actually mm. part of here mm. um so i, I really um I thought the miners thing I found particularly affecting because I think it was something mm. that I remember very vividly.
1: Yeah, indeed. At, at that time in my life, I was in South Wales, so right the South South Wales miners. Wow! Yeah, uh, had, had similar. So uh, as a student, that's where that's where I, I spent my three years in Newport, South Wales. So yeah, uh, we we did a march or two. Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I suspect the the interesting thing. From that point of view, looking at that specific moment in the story, which which is quite a long way into it, so yeah, so you know we need to sort of double back from that. But the interesting thing, from my point of view, is that the the only thread that I feel is missing really in this story is is the press thread. Ah, that's
0: interesting. Uh, Yeah,
1: and I and I I think uh, because if you actually think about the five series of the Wire, where they looked at uh Baltimore from various perspectives, if you like. Yeah. One of the series just felt dealt with the, the press.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um and I just feel that, you know, again, it's one of it's one of those strands that now we could look back on that era and start to see how the press has also been manipulated. They they do touch on it with the <clears throat> the corrupt uh PR man yes. working for the Tory party yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in one of the episodes. But but I just feel that the sort of, should we say, the integrity of the press from from yeah. the sixties through to the nineties yeah. would be an interesting storyline to follow, and 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 you almost feel that yes, you, I mean, in many ways, perhaps we don't need to because we just see the way it is reported. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the sense of you know we see the TV monitors, we see. but we don't. For example, we don't really see any 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 cameras at the at the riot. Yeah.
0: You make a really good you point, know. Martin, because I think. Now, there's no way you could make Our Friends of the North and not have it as a theme, I think, because the press and its corruption and how it's affected society is just too too strong to ignore it. You just wouldn't. It would be part of... If there are any new episodes, I'm sure it would be a huge part of it.
1: There, there yeah. is There is a... In one of the early episodes, uh, there is when Austin is trying to get the Northern TV franchise around. Oh, yes. and, and, and obviously the various uh, handshakes and what have you that... That make his 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 bid fail. Yeah. Uh, so the, you know, there is a little bit of that. I've got a, it, I've it, got a claim to fame.
0: I've got a claim to fame there. Um, right. So the the, the um, not not fame at all. But sorry,
1: my eye is always drawn to the bell.
0: <laughs> no, it's just that because Tyne Tees won the franchise, you know Tyne Tees, right? Which was our local. You know, we, we watched Tyne Tees television, not as much though, because obviously mm. it wasn't as good as the BBC, darling. But um. Yeah. But,
1: See, I just assumed it was all about Grenade.
0: <laughs> but the chairman of Tyne Tees was a family friend because he was in the village which in which my dad was a vicar and he was okay. the equerry to the Queen, Sir Rafe Carr-Ellison. And mm-hmm. because he was chairman of Tyne Tees, honestly, there's probably corruption there, I have no idea, but he was chairman of Tyne Tees. And because he was in this position, I had a videotape that my sister had brought back from America where she'd recorded some Doctor Who off the TV in America and brought this tape back, right. which I could never watch, which had a glorious Doctor Who story on it. <laughs> the chase. Ah, and be... I couldn't watch it because it was in the wrong format. And it was actually given to Sir Rafe one Sunday at church to say, you're chairman of Tiny Tees, can you do anything about this for my lad? <laughs> And he kept it for a month, I think, and then no, maybe even more, and it came back, and no, it was never sorted. But it was just funny. Oh, you, I... you need to you need to
1: post it to uh, <laughs> one of these restoration team folks. They'll probably find all sorts of goodies. Yeah, maybe. But it was just the fact. I finally that... get a credit on a Blu racer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it also happens to have uh, four episodes of, of Fury from the Deep. Yes, exactly. Whatever, whatever that is. Yes, and
0: something called Mission to the Unknown. Anyway, <laughs> right. <clears throat>
1: <laughs> Moving on. Yes.
0: So, just to say about each character in turn, let's start with Nicky, I think.
1: Where is it, Dad? Where is it that panic you whenever anybody mentions changing things?
3: Whenever anybody talks about a better world?
1: Why, when there's so much to be angry about? Why do you get
3: angry with me?
0: So he's a naive idealist at the start. He wants to change the world, he wants to make it fair. He's. um, We meet him to start. He's protesting in support of equality, Black Lives Matter, Um, and he is very much all about ideals, and that is more important than relationships and his university career and everything initially. And he wants to make a difference, but as it goes through, he becomes um, less convinced it's possible to do anything, and ultimately, um, kind of loses his way. But he keeps coming back to these ideals every now and then and thinking that action is possible. But um, yes, he starts off somewhere. And I think he's kind of an anti-hero rather than a hero because towards the end, when he becomes a failure as a husband um, mm. and a problematic person, he he definitely becomes quite dislikable, I would say, towards the end. Hmm. What's your take on Nicky? Anything to add on Nicky?
1: He, he flirts, shall we say, with the anarchist movement. Yes, totally. Uh, he becomes what you, we would call now an extreme left winger. Yeah. When, when he uh, stands for Parliament, but he, he fails to become an MP. Yeah. Uh, and in many ways, goes off to become quite respectable in in a lot of in the sen- in the sense of he makes a living out of. Uh, photography, mm. which is kind of is kind of very well, you would almost say an, a, a middle class profession in many ways. Yeah, and so whether his idealism fades, I mean, uh, when we see him in the last episode, he's been in Italy for several years uh, when he comes home. Uh, but I think ultimately, in, in, it, he is he is the first of possibly all four of our main characters who is a bit of a heroic failure. Yes, and I think all our, our characters over the course of the um, 30 year uh, expanse of this 31 year expanse of this story are all to a lesser or greater extent you would define them now as failures in in of what they what they hoped to achieve right at the beginning to where they end up and I suppose that is just an allegory for life really you know none of us end up really you know we can all be full of dreams at 20 that when we're 50 we don't quite reach, or well, maybe some of us do better, you know, mm. I mean, for example um, of the four, the one who shall we say seems to get the most comfort out of life isn't necessarily the most deserving or necessarily the most likeable yeah. or indeed the most hard working well, we should, we should somehow, go on to talk about him, yeah which is um, Tosca yeah
3: Oi! You might have it up there, Nicky
0: but I've got it down here
1: which is um, Mark Strong's
0: character. Yeah. Who starts off being very much sort of... I'm... Very
1: hussute and ends up bald, yes. That's... <laughs> that wasn't what I was going to so say. So that's his failure. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, he starts off like a complete tosser, doesn't he? I mean, Tosca, tosser. and it's very... Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just really a horrible person. And, I mean, I think one of his first things he says is, crazy name, crazy guy. <laughs> it's like, no... <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: And... But he is actually horrible throughout. I mean, yes. you know, it's just that in the end, he finds a kind of calmness or a kind of uh, contentment that maybe the other three characters don't find. No, And the way the way to that contentment is, you know, <laughs> he's the Tory, isn't he? Let's be honest.
0: <laughs> he is. And I think he's a character that was was crucial to Michael Waring particularly he really wanted to bring up Tosca particularly in the later episodes that you know he commissioned Mm. Flannery to write more and make it clear that there was this story of this story of this (laughs) Tory in addition to the other characters and
1: (laughs) (laughs) the story Tory of the Tosca the (laughs) Tosser.
0: yeah and but he in many ways is for me the most Geordie of the characters, even though he's not called Geordie. <laughs> but he actually, for me, is the sort of Geordie I know, which is right. Tory voting, um, cares about his appearance, but also is a family man, but he's a bit useless at it, um, likes his music, likes the football, but mm. he kind of yeah, it's 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 very much the archetype that I I know mm. um more than the other characters, although Mary mm. Mary, I, str- I struggle with for lots of reasons I will I will explain. Well, tell us about Mary. Oh, it's just that Mary is kind of like a composite of my mother and my aunt.
2: we dad's a problem. He's lonely. Tosca's driving Anthony to suicide by making them play the drums all the time. We've lost our sitting member with the election due any minute. Uh, I've got two kids to raise and a CLP to run single-handed, but Apart from
0: that I'm happy. So my mum was actually is actually a Geordie and she was um, well what they say about if you're a true Geordie or not were you born in spitting distance of the Tyne? <laughs> is what they say okay Um and she was born um, there and lived all her life mm-hmm. there until she met my dad and mm-hmm. then they went off down south when she was well yeah probably about 20 mid 20s but she was basically born the exact same year as Mary 1945 uh-huh. and uh-huh. very much looked like a dark hair um and similar sort of should have done more with her life didn't do it then ended up doing a well she did her a levels in the 70s despite mm. my dad not being happy about it and then they mm. separated in 81 and then they divorced and, mm. and a very similar story but then in mm. terms of looks in terms of her the way she speaks she's very much like my auntie mary jane and mm. and and she's called mary mary jane <laughs> and and she oh honestly it's really difficult for me to watch and mm. just because there's there's such a such an authenticity to it that i actually it kind of slightly takes me out of it and i think it's brilliantly done the thing that i love that she does is when she has the line can I tell you something? And I can't do it quite right. I can't do it because she's got a Sunderland accent, which I can't quite get. But this can I tell you something thing, which she keeps saying, is so true. And I can. T- <laughs> Mary Jane says these words. I know she does. Can I tell you something before she'll launch in to tell you her, her nugget of wisdom?
1: Anyway. Wow. Well, so our prisoners in the north. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. But Mary is a character who, yeah, she, she should have gone to university. She doesn't because mm. she... She goes to New Orleans with Tosca <laughs> mm. um, going to New Orleans, being a, um, a lyrical textual way of saying shagging. <laughs> and, and then she has this unhappy marriage and she has to take this sort of role as this long suffering mother and, mm. and, and wife. And yes. There's a very Catholic bent to her story. Um, and it's a lot about suffering and, Ultimately, this is questioned until till the end, where a son calls her on it, unfairly, I would say. And say, so, well, you, know, you just be happy. Just, you know, stop suffering. I mean, he's projecting loads mm. onto her, and it's not fair. But there's an element of which she is this long-suffering character.
1: But she's also... It's interesting to me.
0: one of the that... most successful. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. Yes.
1: No, I it's interesting to me that actually, of, of the four, you almost feel that her story is actually only really beginning when the series ends. And it almost feels like the launch pad of yeah. what she's going to become. Yeah, And <clears throat> both her and Tosca, to a certain extent, in the first half of the story, are quite badly served in terms of, uh, not, not necessarily screen time as such, but in terms of, being interesting characters, yes. If you see what I mean, their their characters actually become more interesting as the story progresses, and a lot of the emphasis in the in the uh, certainly in the first couple of episodes is is very much Nicky, but also Geordie. Yeah, and I suspect it's it's again this focus on recreating mid sixties, late sixties life. Uh, those are the two. You, you can't you can't say other than a woman's lot in the sixties probably wasn't as high profile yeah. as as go-getting so actually if you wanted to say something about London life in the 60s or or Newcastle life in the 60s you probably had to concentrate on those two characters also to, in the first few episodes you've got a lot of exposition to get the situation of this whole this thing about the housing corruption yeah. the police corruption you've got to get a lot of that and unfortunately her and Tosca specifically, aren't particularly involved in those threads. Yeah, they are casualties. So... And that's one of the
0: reasons why I'm so pleased that more episodes were commissioned, because I think that would mm. have been very difficult to to get behind them and be interested mm. in them enough for it to work. Um, as, Did as I
1: read as in, in some of the notes that they reshot the first episode? Yes,
0: episode they... one yeah. was, was a remount, a total rewrite. They recorded episode one first, um, well, early, and then between episodes six and seven, they actually shot episode one completely from scratch with a new new script, new director. And mm. they decided to specifically put in, um, they set it earlier, and mm. they put in the relationship with Nicky and Mary, which wasn't in it at all, originally. Right. So it's the Nicky and Mary romance and how that became Tosca instead. Okay. Is. And how
1: their antagonism was set up. Yes, mm-hmm. which is it is, is actually so so important. Like, that, that yeah yes that it does interest me though because you start to see uh, actually because there were things that happen in episode one yeah. that resonate later on so you could see actually that would probably come out of the organic thing of having filmed five. And go back Yes, and actually that's quite interesting yeah. because you sort of think maybe more drama should do that. Well exactly, well this is what the, I saw this
0: retrospective sort of thing of the guys meeting in the pub, the directors the writer, the producer and the executive producer and mm. that's exactly what one of the people says, I can't remember who it was, that this should be done more in, in, in series where they go back and do mm. the first episode later or they rewrite the first mm. episode on the basis of what they've filmed so far because mm. everyone agrees, actors directors everything that it was the absolute right decision um mm. although it was very hard for, for peter peter flannery to reimagine something from scratch was mm. you know and the the actors mm. apparently were very unhappy because they suddenly had they played things in certain ways and they were like well how does this does this work yeah. now because we're now mm. playing a different past and mm. and of course they had to regress to being 19 year olds again when mm. they'd just been you know they'd just
1: 35 years. Filmed,
0: yeah, seventy nine. So yeah, whatever it was.
1: The the uh, the interesting also is that because they didn't have the budget, they had to film those beaches down south. I know. It's, well,
0: a really important point because that is not Whitley Bay. It's meant to be Whitley Bay. It's not a thing like it, and that's that really spoils things for me. Mm. Our friends in the
1: south, yeah. I believe is the is the is the the derogatory term. Yes,
0: yeah. Although there's enough of the north later on to make to make. Yeah, it for
1: if you know, if you know your beaches, yeah.
0: So we should talk about Geordie before we move on to Indeed. the individual episode. So I quite missed you, actually. Though I'd never see it.
3: Where's me birthday present? Under your bed. Brought it round on the actual day, but you were too busy failing to get your leg over in Alabama.
1: Ge- Geordie is is the inter- is the is, is a fascinating character because uh, he basically, in many ways, is living the 60s dream. Yeah. You know, But also comes from this brutal home life that he escapes from goes to London and is always, is one of those characters that's always going to be on the edge of falling over the abyss. Yes. And no matter what he does he seems to be on the brink of failure. He gets involved in very dodgy people it, and he, and yet at some, at certain points in the story he seems to be living the dream. Yeah. And of course then it all kind of collapses for him and he's, he's a fascin- it's a fascinating part because all through it, in many ways, despite, you know, some of the... Because he, he can be quite brutal, he can be quite unpleasant, and he has a complete lack of interest in politics. Total, an utter, yeah. All all the way through, he has this morality. And in many ways, Geordi is... In some ways, more of the heart of the program, even than Nicky is. Yeah, because because it's it's Geordie who stands up for the little kid in the last oh, episode. Oh God, yeah. It's Geordie who stands up for the the women in, yes. in the um in in the sixties yeah. in, in the in the in the the uh, horing ring or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you know? it's, uh, and so he he is the one who steps in. Yeah, you know. And uh, and that is a fascinating thing. So it's it's a very interesting role. Uh, apparently, this really is what got him the James Bond. Movie. Ah, it actually was. Okay. Barbara Broccoli saw him in this yeah. and and thought mm, with a bit of a haircut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, I think it's because certain violent scenes he plays, but also he has that very. I mean, okay, there's a sequence in it where he's walking around London with a with a, a weapon in his hand. Yeah. Uh, but but his delivery is very matter of fact and very you know stoic but um but in the end it's 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 a hell of a part even though in in a large part of the plot he really has no positive interaction other than occasionally crosses paths with our other four strands of life if you
0: like yeah he's very much and i think that's deliberate outsiderness that you'd referenced and i think that's why you know you said about him being missing from an episode i think that kind of emphasized that that he was very much on the outside and very tragic and and separate. And those times when he does mm. come back, there's one brief reunion in I think it's mm. at it the end of seventy four or at the end of seventy nine. One of them. Yes,
1: they they have they have two sort of yeah. points in the story yeah. where they're all suddenly in the same place. Yeah. There's only one point after nineteen sixty four where we're all in the same room. Yeah. But um, but um, but yeah. The, 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 again, it's that's the another interesting thing. Really, you're telling the story of four friends uh-huh. who who grow apart.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I want to come back to Which... those, those scenes later. The thing about Geordie that I think is most interesting is because of his horrible home life and the fact that he has a drunk father is that he actually spends his time looking for love in the form of family. And mm. he he almost gets it at that point before he's set up by Benny and he, he there's that possibility of that woman and that daughter. And he's so good. There's a very kids. telling... Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a very telling scene in that that very first episode where where Geordi actually asks someone, "Do you, do I remind you of me, Dad?"
2: Yeah,
1: and and basically he he actually defends him and says he's basically all right when he's sober. Yeah, uh, but then you see this brutal oh, yeah. scene with yeah, his father, yeah. which is is again <clears throat> I don't know whether that was in the original. You know, I mean it explains why he runs away to London. Yeah. But he has this brutal, brutal scene with yeah, his father, yeah. and um, and you kind of think, God, you know, you know what? You know, this this is this is why you want to get away from. And in interestingly enough, that one scene where he where he runs away effectively to London, he packs his bags and yeah. goes. In many ways, changes his life. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. if he'd stayed and maybe him and Tosca had got the band going and everything like that. Yeah could have been a completely different story and
2: now i see how you really are you're no good
1: you're no good you're
2: no good baby you're no good i'm going to say
3: it again you're no good you're no good
2: you're no good baby
0: you're no good i'd like to suggest for for the next section of this this particular mm-hmm. episode that we take each year each episode in turn and okay. look at some of the do some of the key scenes and play a few clips in of some of the moments where we thought this, well, this is sort of, sort of peak, our friends. This is where it really comes together. This is the scenes that really work, and also that will help us to talk about the characters because we can't possibly go through mm. the whole narrative; it, it would just be too much. So, mm. um, so let's start with sixty-four. There is a house in New your... Orleans
2: all the and it the ruin of
3: many war.
0: In God, i know episode one which was the remade episode which was the right thing to do the first thing i want to say about it before we go into the scene so is just the cinematography of this, it looks like the Tyne side of my parents that I've seen in photograph albums. It's mm-hmm. just incredible. And scenarios and situations that my parents have described to me as well. Like my mum tells a story about mm-hmm. how she got with a guy on a beach uh, <laughs> at Whitley Bay and then and shouldn't have done because it was really dangerous and stupid because no one knew where she was and they, they went out for a while but it didn't work out. And it was just so the Nicky and Mary scenario. Mm-hmm. It was just so weird. But... Um, Oh, and also that scene of the family glued to the TV, because, of course, everyone was in 64. It flickered in the corner and everyone just watched it
1: because it was new. And, and indeed, they're watching the black and white. Oh, are they? Sure. God. <laughs> mm. uh, and is an interesting, I mean, again, you know, uh, Geordie makes reference to Darkies, uh, yeah. and, and, again. And it's interesting how, you know, things that make us uncomfortable... But the, but the, but the fascinating thing about that is you have to accept. I I, I think people forget this. You do have to accept it, it uh, in it, in in life, in drama, and everything. In many ways, you've got to say this is how people yeah. were. You don't have to like you it. Have to, you have to. You have to accept it. You can't that, whitewash yeah, it. That yeah. sort of programming was on. Yeah, you can't you can't just pretend that everybody you know in 1964 was tolerant and open minded and yeah. everybody loved everybody and everything like that because they yeah. simply didn't. They were they, um, so there's a lot of that going on, and there's an awful lot of at this time in history, there's an awful lot of mistrust of uh, academics yeah. and intellectuals. So the fact that <clears throat> Nikki is supposed to go to university and then decides yeah. not to. Is, is, is very much a thread through the first episode. Also his, his political... Um, we, we get to meet for the very first time David Bradley's character, um, whose name I've... Uh, Eddie Wells. Uh, who again has a thread throughout yeah. the first eight episodes um, as, as, as the counsellor who becomes an MP yeah. and so on and so forth. And, 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 and they are friends, you know, uh, Nicky and, uh, and, and they are family friends because of they, he and, uh, Nicky's father, Felix, go back to the time of the Jarrow, Jarrow yeah. marches. Well, I don't think, does Jarro. does he go back as far as Eddie Wells? Does he, yeah, I think he does, doesn't he? He does mention, yeah. And they mention the time um, in the, in the
0: big market mention, together where they used to basically yes. stand and
1: firebrand lectures about
0: reform mm. and labor
2: mm. Yeah,
1: there's also there's also a couple of uh, points in this that uh, that crop up actually throughout the narrative is is there are that we sh- should we say there are mentions of Nikki's sexuality which 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 pop up. So at one point he, you know quotes the line "Are you a puff?" You yeah, know? which again. Isn't easy to listen to yeah. now, yeah, but that again was be the terminology of the time. That would be how in in a northern household these questions and not, would have been asked
0: and that is a very much a Geordie phrase as well. So um I oh. was in a rugby club in Wrighton, which is over the over the Tyne mm-hmm. from Newcastle, um just a few years no. ago, and I kissed my wife at the bar and this guy came over and said, Are you a puff like? <laughs> Just after I kiss my wife, right. and that's a kind of really interesting Geordie thing. It's just a
1: phrase. Are you a puff? It's just so common, yeah, right. and I don't think that's. But it, but it, it's just interesting that it crops up again in Nicky's press conference yeah, when he's trying to be an exactly. MP. Exactly, uh, and he's got so, that thing that he doesn't want to deny it that...
0: because he doesn't want to say he doesn't want to say anything that will give them. Any, it's just yeah. funny,
1: yeah. Anyway, yeah, but there's also that whole thing of him not having a you know a long-term partner. Yeah. yeah a lot yeah. of the plot so you know so it, it's kind of it's kind of yeah but uh just worth worth a, yeah. a, a quick note. so the scene one
0: of the scenes i wanted to pull out is the one you've already mentioned which is the one with with geordie's dad where um mm. he's an alcoholic and he thinks he's in craster mental institute and he's not and he's drunk and tosca goes back to the house with geordie and the scene of unremitting distress and violence and or that ever seen a monkey cry business and all that. Oh, it's just too much, isn't it?
3: This is my house. My house, right? And you do what I tell you. (coughs) look, Mr. Peacock, man. Shut your hole, you. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Have
3: you ever seen a monkey cry, have you? Have you? Well, you have now! Look at that! You're a bastard you are! Ah, oh, so I'm a bastard, am I? <laughs> Leave him alone! Leave him alone, you mental man!
0: But it's done so well.
1: It's, it feels so strong and believable. Yes, and again, you could you could argue that when you're in the middle of a production, that bringing that kind of reality to scenes is a lot more, you know, you're not still trying out the characters. So actually, maybe that middle filming absolutely enhances that. It may not even even have been a scene that existed. in Yeah, the first we don't round, know. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, but I think the fact that. Um... There's some compassion from Tosca for Geordie because of the violence that's been mm. meted out. It's to about
1: the only compassion he shows for anybody. Yes. In, in the first few episodes. I mean, yes, exactly. It is, it is kind of weird that, that Mark Strong's character really doesn't crop up until pretty much it's half over that first episode. I mean, yeah. you know, you've been introduced to the the others. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, you have the uh, the there's a there's a Geordie and Nicky have this sort of football birthday present thing. Well, this is the it's other scene going...
0: I wanted to mention. The birthday mm. tea scene is just, mm. for my money, it might be the best scene in the whole damn thing. <laughs> just Let's just play some of that in now. What do you wish for? Peace on
1: earth and justice for all men?
3: No, a trip to New Orleans with Mary. Oh,
0: isn't that romantic? You thought you went to New Orleans? Not all the way. Oh, hello. Oh! <coughs> What? You want to try that again? I think you missed, Felix. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, do I see presents? Go on, get it over with.
0: What is it?
3: I've wrecked me brains this year.
2: You haven't got any. Oh, open the flaming thing. Mary's waiting. A football!
3: If you don't like it, you can take it back.
2: You'll be lucky. The shop where you first got it closed down five years ago.
0: I bought it first. No, you didn't. I did.
2: Happy birthday.
0: Honestly, just the interplay between the characters, the humour, the lightness of touch, the Mm. delicacy of it. Um, Oh, just,
1: I loved it. But again, I, you know, you feel that that's because now those actors are comfortable with each other. Yes, totally. You know, yeah, they know know each, how each other works. And if you were trying to film that on the first day, yeah, <laughs> it exactly, would have been a very different scene. And huh? I think
0: the connections between the characters are so well done, and the fact that they got them to play a bit younger, and they really mm-hmm. were—I felt they inhabited those ages as, as well as they could. And the brilliant thing about that was was that it was ham salad, that. If someone had said, What should it be? I would said, <laughs> it should be ham salad. Because my grandma, my um, mother's mother, um always used to do ham salad. We'd go round it'd be ham salad because that, that would one. be what you'd serve. Um if people were coming round. Yeah. And it could have only been I'm supposed if... to be
1: making that for tea
2: tonight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Weird but this, I'm obviously a out of his time.
0: <laughs> this is the other thing that I find really odd is that Felix and Florrie are absolutely my grandparents on my mum's side. Right. She was a tiny woman who didn't really understand the wider world and like mm-hmm. that line about However much Mister Wilson or Mister Heath says, it's it's there's only the seven days in a week, not three. That would be exactly the sort of thing you would come
1: up with. And yeah. um, then you've of course got... you've also got the fact that uh, uh, Ge- Geordie at this point doesn't give a toss about the, the politics of of the deep south of America. He just wants to know how many times he got a shag. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And 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 Felix was my granddad in the sense he was this right. big lump of a man who. Yes. I ultimately, got dementia and got quite violent and scary mm. and towards the end, and kind of just oh, it's just. And then she went first before he did, and all this stuff. It was so, it was so true that it was um, the depiction was brilliant. We should mention Frida Dowie because we haven't yet, who was the Sybil in I Claudius, and also Caesonia, Caligula's wife, and I think she's an actress that isn't known enough and isn't talked about enough, and I think she was brilliant as Flory. Anything else you want to pick out of of that episode um,
1: uh, of of part one? Um, I mean, yes. There, I mean, let's face it. There's a lot. I mean, you get you get the whole uh, antagonistic setup of uh, Mark Strong moving in on Nikki's on um, Chris Eccleston's character's uh, girlfriend, effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which you know, and and all his sort of charm, you know, yeah. and how he and he basically literally charms the pants off her. Yes. Um, but on, he's used uh, to
0: doing that, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's, he expects it, kind of thing. Yeah.
1: And, of course, a lot of this uh, is in parallel to Geordie uh, having... Ha- he's supposed to be getting married. I shoved the stick. I only shagged her once, I wouldn't care.
3: I've had a father round, her brothers, the priest. The won't the aisle before she's too fat to wear white. Oh, fuck me, Geordie. No, thanks, I'm not shagging any more Catholics.
1: <laughs> and and in the end, he, he, he instead of Getting married, he, he he runs away to London, yeah. Uh, where he he manages through whatever means to get a job in a cafe. There's a there's a quite ominous uh, mention of uh, that this chap will lose his cafe mm. very early on, and indeed yeah. this has already happened by the by the second episode uh, because of the nature of people wanting property in London and wanting it for their sex shops and what have you, yeah. And 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 flats and things. But also, um, in, in this sort of sense, you start to get the seeds of the police corruption um, storyline. Let's move on to episode two. So, 66...
0: first scene I wanted to to pull out and talk about was Tosca's tryout in the bar um, where, I mean, he's such a terrible singer (laughs) (laughs) it's brilliant he's kind of like, this is an early version of the X Factor belief that you're good at things because your parents have told you you're good at things it's bloody awful and the guy actually says don't give up your day job Mm. and they actually call him a scabby Jewish bastard, the guy who who gives him that review but um it's it's really quite brilliant that he is so bad and mm. that he has this belief. But this also this fact that Mary is still drawn to him somehow and mm. whenever Mary and Nicky are together with Tosca, they're taking the yeah. piss out of him royally. Mm. And yet it's not quite enough for her to break out of it. and she's no. trapped, her, I guess, by this point. But it's mm. it's it's obvious that the intellectual equals in a way that her and mm. Tosca never can be. And he actually says, "You may have it up there. I've got it down there." And it's just a really interesting um, depiction of the differences in, the, in those relationships and, and why.
1: Yeah, I'm not bothered. It's only one man's opinion.
3: Exactly. He's not even a man anyway. He's just a scabby little rat.
1: Meet a man. Aye, why not? You've got what you came for, haven't you?
3: Good laugh. I'm not laughing. That isn't what I came well, why for. Why did you come, eh? As if I bloody needed to ask.
2: Tosca.
1: See you.
3: Not if I see you first. And stay away from her.
2: Don't talk about me as if I was your property. Yeah, you me wife!
3: Got that brains? Mr. Donahue's office boy.
1: It, it, it's a fascinating portrayal in in the sense that what you've got going on here is the, this hopes and dreams thing, and then real life being so bloody grim. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, he's got this. Uh, is, is this one where he, or is the, is the Rhodesia one? Does the Rhodesia thing pop up in the next one? I think
0: it's around this time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's when he loses He loses He loses his really drudgy job. Yeah. You know. And uh, and yet, obviously, at this point, all he really wants to do is become a singer in the band. Now, of course, again, in context, this is nineteen sixty-six. You know, yeah. where anybody with a guitar was was doing yes. on top of the box, Really, yes. so you kind of it, again, it, it sort of sits, you know, very well with with the kind of dreams that people yeah. of that age would have had. But I mean, if you think about, um, I mean, Lennon at this stage had a wife and child. Yeah, you know, so you know, in many ways. Tosca Tosca is kind of a reflection of John Lennon in some yeah. ways. Yeah. The men- yeah. Nobody shoots him. Yeah. <clears>
0: we <throat> should mention about the music being such an important side to this, oh, this drama, absolutely. the soundtrack to the Times, and we've got the House yes. of the Rising Sun, which of course is there also because there is a house in New Orleans which is used as a
1: as a euphemism for sex all the time. Yes, but, um, but also it it. it uh, The the, been a ruin of many a poor boy but it it, it actually it crops up again in the final episode yes it does so there's a beautiful bracketing of that that tune specifically
0: yeah but you've also got like pretty flamingo and you're no Mm -hmm. good summer in the city Mm -hmm. as it moves on it's just some fantastic choices that really raise it and give it a
1: a feel pinpoint the year is the same with the punk and, and the yeah. 79 and all yeah, that kind of yeah. you know and and uh, you know even even the uh, the minor strike one you know the, the music tells you where you are immediately yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's exceptionally well done yeah
0: so have you got a see another scene from 66 you want to pull out
1: um I'm just going through well this is the episode in which Malcolm McDowell arrives yes who, who famously also gets his picture in the credits <laughs> does he where yeah he, he, he very briefly pops up in, in the opening. You know, when you've got the. the oh, the, the, I see, yeah. The, 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 the sort of shattered um, uh, tableau thing that makes yeah. up this beautiful title sequence. I it think is a just... beautiful title sequence, but
0: I tell you, this time it really annoyed me because right. what I wanted to do is to do the shattered shards, and then mm. when it's the episode that comes up, right, this is 66 or this is 67, I think it should mm. be on the faces at that age. When the title, ah. and it's that's a missed a trick there, because ah. they always end showing 1995 look, when it's the year, and I'm like, no, you've done it wrong, and I, I just, <laughs> I just want a, a specific tailored oh. credit for each episode. Graphic there we go. designers, I've critiqued. Designers,
1: you see, the realize every everybody's a critic. <laughs> Exactly. Everybody can have an opinion on artwork,
0: <laughs> but I do love the music and I do yeah. love the title mm-hmm. sequence. It's mm-hmm. it's really lovely, yeah. But uh, yes. very br-
1: very briefly, uh, Malcolm McDowell does pop up in it. So. Yes. Okay, I'll let you off. So um, yeah, so he again, he only actually features, I think, because you don't see him after 1974, do you? you no, know, so he's he in fe-
0: 79.
1: He in... He's in 79. 79 is it? So he yeah. features in five episodes, really. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um,
0: and apparently silly, yeah. all filmed in three weeks. All of his, ah, all of his scenes in three weeks because he, mm. he was living in America. So they had to do all his scenes mm. first. So mm-hmm. they even had that problem as well. They had to film mm. all of his scenes and regardless of the episode for the first three okay. weeks. And that was everything that got in the can first. And I think the scene that really sums up Malcolm McDowell's character and the connection with Geordie, who he really has, I think he has genuine affection for, mm. is that scene where they agree that you keep the clubs and I'll take the shops. Mm. and there's the brutal attack on that man and Mm. Geordie effectively becomes his PA almost instantly Mm. as a result Mm. of his his loyalty because that's Mm. the thing about Geordie he wants to give people his loyalty he's Mm. desperate to belong Mm. and I think he sees Benny as a father figure Mm. I think there's definite element of that Mm. and that is part of his loyalty and his connection with this guy and Mm. Benny is I think looks at him, looks at him as the son he didn't have, sort of thing. Or he probably had lots of sons, probably didn't he? To be honest, <laughs> Just didn't acknowledge any of them. No. But, um Yeah. What do you think of his performance, Malcolm McDowell?
1: It's uh, well, it's, it's Malcolm McDowell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what does that mean?
1: Well, I mean, I I, 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 There are certain actors when they turn up, I, I don't really feel in many ways they have to to portray. You, you know what you're gonna get. Yeah. if you see what I mean yeah. and you, you get sort of prime McDowell there's a long campaign ahead
3: against the police against the criminal elements I've got nothing to offer you but hubble bubble toil and trouble and at the end of the day ultimate victory so pull your fingers out what do you say Jerry okay thanks Mr. Barrett okay Thanks, Mr. Bass. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love that accent.
1: <laughs> because he he was very high profile at that point, so again yeah. that three week window explains a lot, you know. Yeah. And and probably explains why he's not in episode one at all. Yeah. <laughs> because if they did reshoot, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, it's it, No, he's he he is. He, what you get is that terrifying. Uh, you know, he, he can be he can be beautifully affable. I mean, there's a lovely moment uh, again. I think it's it's in a later episode where where Tosca comes to visit in London. Yeah. And he pretends to be the chauffeur.
0: Yeah.
1: You know that is he, lovely, he, isn't it? Yeah. And he can be, and he can be quite sort of um, light, you know, but you know he's terrifying. And there are yeah. these certain actors who I know they're only actors, and you know they're probably you know uh, soft as putty, really. But but there are certain actors that when they walk into a room, they frankly terrify you. There's a there's a story that used to be told about Stratford Johns where people say, oh, you know, when Stratford Johns is in a pub, people expect him to be Barlow. They expect him to be a thug. So they'll yeah. you know. And I I genuinely think that that. That uh, Malcolm McDowell has that same thing. People wouldn't approach him in in the same way they might approach somebody affable. I'm trying to yes. think of somebody affable, who's got a reputation as an affable character. Mm. But um, but as you know, as as you think, well, oh, I'll stay away. He might, he might, you know, he's, he's that that smile and be a villain thing. You know, you feel he might try cutting me throat if I go and say hi. <laughs> yeah,
0: we should also talk in this episode about how. Um... Nicky becomes Austin Donahue's office boy effectively and mm. is getting involved literally in literally and just helping helping this terrible bribing and deals for Edward's Edward's John Edward's building systems and mm. these new office blocks what's it Willow Lane flats and how he the dream of this idealistic you know labor new labor well, it's not new labor but <laughs> you know it's it's this idea that he can change the world and he Quickly realizes that this isn't actually going to happen, yeah. and there are, he he very... starts off by saying, "I'm not, I'm not um, working for a builder," and then he realizes, "Oh, I am
1: working for a builder." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there is there is a, a I think it's in episode two. There's a very good moment where he's written this speech for the sitting MP.
0: Oh and the, yes, and,
1: and the sitting MP turns out to be a right oily, hypoc- hypocritical. Some he's of, he's of, a Tory, of, really, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Dressed up, yes. As, yeah. Dressed up as a, as a... And and uses the speech. And, yes. Uh, and it's just... it's Again, it's just a fascinating way that you... you the, the beats of, of what he said in his speech, you know, you come out on on the TV screen. And, uh, yeah, you know, and which leads to all sorts of things about uh, progressive Tories and God knows what. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and how, how passionate they all are about housing when really they're all passionate <coughs> about lining their pockets You know, Passion seems to be an important word to you Yes, I'm not ashamed to admit I do feel passionate about the things that matter A good game of football at St James's Park on Saturday afternoon Decent houses for decent working people That's what I'm in this game for at the end of the day Thank you very much, Arthur Watson And that concludes our series of profiles of Tyneside MPs. Tomorrow, of course, is the day that matters.
3: Did I detect some of your purple prose? you could hardly expect Arthur to come up with anything intelligent. Well, we can't all be geniuses. I don't want him to be a genius. I just... Do you know what Arthur is? A Tory. A progressive Tory. It's Claude Seabrook in a flat cap. (laughs) Very good. Did he tell you he was once decorated by Franco? Franco? For services to the Spanish people. He puts a word in for Spain whenever Gibraltar raises its ugly head in the house. (laughs) You think that's funny? (laughs) Don't you? No, I don't. I'm helping to get this bloke
0: elected, and what's he gonna do when he gets there? Apart from plug Franco now and then. I did also think in the second episode, a lovely scene was that um, specially filmed promo for the Willow Lane Flats with Mary <laughs> Oscar and then you, <laughs> you know we just yeah. it was just so clever that that was weaved into it like that.
1: and the horrific um, reality of it.: Yes, exactly.
0: We should move on to 67.) I want to pull out there is the one where you get Nicky and Mary reunited over that terrible meal. Uh, oh, yes, uh, yeah,
1: yes, that is yes.
0: With, with Helen mm. Windsor, who is um, the hideous girlfriend of Nicky, who's this anarchist who <laughs> takes him along the wrong path and is a snooty mm. bitch as well. Yes. Just sensing addresses on the crate.
2: No, you can't say that, Tosca. Can I not? The Rhodesian blacks are an oppressed race. Anything you do that helps the white regime only makes it harder for the blacks to take their freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I'm not interested in politics, so uh,
0: that's why I vote Tory.
3: How do you know what I vote or don't vote?
2: Tosca, what I'm trying to explain. Hey, look,
3: get off my back, will you, sweetheart?
2: Okay, I'll get off your back, and you don't call me sweetheart. Jesus, what was the matter with that? It's patronising. I don't allow it. No harm's meant by it, Helen. It's just a. Hey, don't
3: apologise for me. Okay, there's no wrong with calling somebody sweetheart.
1: You were calling people blacks a minute ago.
2: That's completely different. How come? How come? Because blacks are black.
3: Yeah, we all know that, but there's no need to say so. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was coming for three pound two and two. I'm peeing. No no, peeing. no no, you're not. You
1: ready?
2: Yeah, here. Helen. Blow your nose. It'll help you to talk down it. Um, there
1: are there are there are you you could argue that in some ways that these these opportunities to try and make the characters' paths cross. Yes. Oh, uh, they you, they could feel forced in in some ways, but they d- they do work very well. And because basically he's fallen out with Austin by this stage, hasn't he? Yes. Yeah,
0: he's um, now fallen out of. Well, he's fallen out of society with really you as well,
1: hasn't he? Yes. So this is the one where, where uh, oddly enough, the the thing that gets me in, in episode three, because because I have been sort of making these mental connections, is the connections with with nice work and business. Oh yeah, uh, which we watched uh, in our last episode, mm. and uh, and how the sanctions row over Odisha yeah. mm. basically leads to Tosca losing his crap job.
0: Yes, the like great. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: and and how you know, I mean, how much he hates that job, but how much it's still supporting his family, and mm. uh, you know, you look yeah. you look at these things, um, and it, uh, in the middle of all this, you start to discover that. Uh, Eddie Wells is about the only incorruptible MP that there is <laughs> Yes, because ev- everyone around him is just a complete and utter self serving bastard which yeah. of course is if you've got an, a, a low opinion of politics anyway it's nothing more than you would expect really I, mean,
0: I do think that's something to be said for watching this drama right now it's a difficult watch isn't it it was oh, a difficult God, yeah. watch yeah. on the basis of everything we see happening so yeah. blatantly now
1: I mean you've got Tony Hagar turning up as this, this policeman but Roy Johnson um, yeah Alan Armstrong. Alan Armstrong. Sorry, yeah, his name just went. There. <laughs> Didn't um, yeah. Who, who, who? Again, is is we're used to playing quite affable people as a rule, yeah. <laughs> you know. Who, who's basically playing this self-serving, you know, <laughs> who ends up in prison. You know, this, yeah. the person who who put all the money into these flats, persuaded everybody to do it, and uh, they are a nightmare. The is this the opening where we actually see Mary trying to deal with the damp in the flat and the bloody. Wardrobe nearly falls on her.
0: Oh and yes, just, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. Marisa made a point. She said, "If this was G.B.H., the wardrobe would have killed the child." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing at that. Oh yes, mm-hmm. yes, terribly. Mm. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, you, you could, I mean, there's drama and there's melodrama.
0: Yes, exactly. So just going back to that meal out, I think it's a really mm. interesting thing about. There's the social mores of it and how you deal with it, it, meal out and how Tosca and Mary aren't quite used to it, but at the same time they're not going to be, they're not mm. going to be shown up by these people. I mean, there's that line she says, "Here, blow your nose. It will help you to talk down, <laughs> down it." <laughs> <laughs>
1: you could see your, you could hear your auntie saying that. You? Yeah,
0: totally, <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought it was a lovely little scene that really summed up the time because it's very chicken mm. in the basket sort of time. Mm. and also um, that summed up the chasm between Mary's world and Nikki's world at that point mm. and and also this idea didn't she say she's on 6,000 a year um, or was it someone said they're on 6,000 a year and I thought god that's really good in 67 it would be yes. I thought that was a really because I remember my dad in the, in the 70s only mm. being on in late 70s only being on 8,000 which was shit mm. but but yeah i just thought god that's quite a lot of money anyway Mm -hmm. the other scene i wanted to pull out is the end of the episode is when benny has the showdown with geordie over jewels and he he orchestrates him seeing her whoring herself basically for money so he can have the line women are rubbish geordie you know yes um it's just a very iconic scene and one that you you think of as part of this drama she's doing that for 250 quid
3: women are rubbish Geordie most people are rubbish but all women are look (laughs) she's just a piece of rubbish what you and her do or don't do from now on is your business I'm finished with her but you and me we stay the same. No woman is worth any amount of aggravation.
1: Throughout uh, these these two episodes, you've started to be introduced to the dodgy coppers. Yeah. You know. Again, I mean, you know, any drama with Donald Sumter in is usually excellent. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, David Schofield who. Uh I it's one of those faces I always I always see and think, Oh that's him and I can never remember his name. Uh and Was he uh, in was s- he
0: in Band of Gold or I made that up?
1: I honestly couldn't tell you off oh, the top okay. of I, ju- I just I and I remember he he, he very much he plays a stick up guy in uh, From Hell and he's just he's just he's just that he's he's he does CD so incredibly well. Yeah. And of course Sumter does kind of CD but Getting away with it so very well, you know. Mm. So you've got this group of policemen, um, and you've. I, as, as, I'm not sure at this stage. Have you? Have we already been introduced to Peter Jeffrey as the, as the campaigner?
0: I think he's, yes, because he's he goes to the sex. One of the first times we see him is when he goes visits a sex shop for his own personal. That's right. Doesn't he? Yes. So we get an idea about him straight away. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yes, and but you, but the, you've got this this network of policemen, and of course you've got Danny Webb. Playing uh, the policeman who ends up having, shall we say, a certain amount of uh, moral uh, resistance to being bribed. Yeah. Who has to be transferred ends up investigating him and still ends up going down. <laughs> know, he, just because he was in the same room as someone else taking
0: bribes. He,
3: yeah, it, it was. Really he, so the
1: the only decent copper, in many ways, apart from uh, Tony Haygarth's uh, character, the only the only other decent copper still still gets taken down, which is kind of, uh, well, you know, I mean, again, how how do you read that? How do you read that? You you um do you, you argue that he he deserves it, or do you think? Oh, that's a shame because actually he might have bought them down. It's a very, it's a very difficult tightrope because you shouldn't have sympathy for the bad guys.
0: Yeah, but I and think it's he, it's just showing that I think maybe they, they when,
1: manipulate him. Into I, I this. think
0: it's maybe when an old guard mm. is got rid of, then it it's you know you throw the baby out with the bathwater. It doesn't matter. Mm. And I think yeah. that's just a a comment about how th- how when new trenches, new new things get established, then it doesn't matter. No one's interested in the detail. It just happens.
1: Yeah. And um, also, I mean, Peter Jeffrey is is actually the police commissioner. Well, let's move
0: into 1970. 1970. Because the scene i wanted to talk about is the one where roy johnson actually confronts colin Blaymeyer, may Blaymer, which is peter jeffrey um about the report because the report that johnson's done he thinks there's that phrase he says hey, it can be done we can do this and it turns mm. out it can't be done they can't mm. they can't face the um the whole force of the metropolitan police and the connections with the home secretary claude seabrook and everything mm. and, and think they can actually change anything Mm. But it's the one where he saw, calls Colin a gutless bas- bastard. and I just loved mm. it. You're a
1: gutless <laughs> bastard can' nah. well again, tony Haygarth is 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 one of those actors who turns up in all sorts of things yes. and uh, you know is is astonishing.
0: And, we, we and, previously talked about him being um Claudius's fussy slave in I Claudius. Indeed. Which is a totally
1: yeah. different yeah part. absolutely you know. yeah but uh, he, he is he is one of those actors, and uh, yeah. And it's a tubby, tubby little chap, and, and yet can play gritty ah, as steel. And, yeah. um, and you know, and uh, absolutely, the again, in, in many ways, the moral heart. And, of course, a Newcastle copper going down to London to investigate. yes, Which starts to connect our yeah. worlds. Yeah. Can I help you? Yes. I want some
3: straight answers to some straight questions. One... Is it now the official policy of the CID to abort my inquiry? Bollocks. Never mind bollocks. And two, if not, when am I going to get the reinforcements promised me three months ago? Oh. And three, who is responsible for the stream of lies that is being fed to the press about the nature of our work?
1: Sit down, Harold.
0: How do you feel about those connections? Do you believe in them? Do you feel they're contrived? Or are you okay with them?
1: I, th- I suspect you could... Uh... You could have set your story in Manchester and you would have probably been able to find the same connections mm. more or less. Uh, you could probably have done the same with Birmingham. I think it's possible it's it's possibly more of a more of a just general sense that these things are um inevitable mm. uh wherever you are the the only i mean the contrived part is that it, it, m- it means that he can befriend uh Felix and um his, his grandson. Yes. Later on in the story, yeah, exactly. It feels um, like a connection
0: too far that one for me.
1: But um, but that that that's why it's that that's the only real reason because it, it does it does surprise you when he turns out to have the allotment next to Felix's. Quite frankly, yes, <laughs> yes exactly. I was like, uh huh. You know, yeah. You
0: know. No, I know. That's kind of what I thought. Um, he's based on um, ex-chief constable Frank Williamson, by the way. Okay. Um Troy Johnson, a real person, so mm. very directly based on someone. Yeah. Mm. So. Um, There's also a
1: scene around about that time uh, where they were all watching porn, which just made me think of Doomwatch again. So, you know, just, <laughs> I, I am starting to see these things. So no, much. listen, just everyone watching porn in, in
0: a smoke-filled room in the 70s. That's <laughs> just what people did. Just get your head around it. It's got nothing to do with all our podcast. I was around
1: in the 70s. I didn't do any of that. <laughs>
0: no, comment. no comment. No comment. I just wasn't that old. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> I'll let you off. Yeah. Um, the other scene I really want to talk about, which I think is one of the standout scenes in the whole mm. thing, is when Nicky comes home and he hides the gun, and the gun is found, mm. and his anarchism is discovered, in the extent of his belief in, yes, you know what's going, you know, there's a revolution going on, and yes. and um, and his
1: his father basically says, "Twat, <laughs> <laughs> you've always been a useless little bastard." <laughs> Which, of course, drives a lot of the plot from that point. Yeah. I mean, but it's. Nikki so... being called useless is, is, is one of the, the yes. main seeds of the rest of the story, you know. It is a seed. It's also used
0: as an excuse by Nikki. So, mm. um, I mean, this, is, this is where all the parallels start to go a bit mental in my mm. head because Nikki, later Nikki, is very much my father in every mm. single way. Um, sort of in terms of philandering, in terms of being unreliable, being self pitying. Um, being more interested in how he's perceived and mm. sort of like, oh, yeah, just so much. And I think he uses the fact that he's been called useless as an excuse mm. not to be good. Any good. <laughs> you yes. yes. You fought fascism. You both did.
2: Oh, Christ.
3: Well, you may not like this government, but Heath and his friends aren't fascists. Aren't they? What about the police? Oh, Jesus. The apparatus of state repression is the same, whether it's Heath or Wilson, Hitler or Franco. You haven't seen what I've seen, you don't know what I know. Well, I know a fascist state when I see one, and I know a democracy. A democracy? They've made a mockery of it. They've only two uses for democracy. One for collecting money, two for keeping people quiet. It's called repressive tolerance. I never mind that shite. I want to know about this gun. You... It's best you don't know. Well, you brought it into my house, didn't you? It was used on the Spanish embassy. Well, they managed to keep that quiet, didn't they? Yes, they did. For God's sake, Dad, there's a revolution going on. The what? The police commissioner's house bomb. Nothing in the papers. The attorney general's house bomb. Nothing. As if it never happened. Hoping it'll go away. Oh, you know all this. I know, that's all. Oh, you useless little bastard. I should have strangled you at birth. You think you're going to get away with this?
0: Oh, that's it. You've wasted your life, you've threw it away! It's funny, because watching this again now, that scene, mm. I was more like, well, I agree with Nicky. Mm. I think, not, not that there's a revolution going on, but mm. that Parliament is a sham, and mm. that democracy is really repressive tolerance, as he says, and mm. there is no way of changing anything. And mm. and I I just think... It's hard not to accept that the bleakness of his position as something that I I stand by. I wouldn't stand by his anarchy. I wouldn't Mm. stand by weaponising or trying to do anything underground because I think that's worse. But but the
1: despair is there. Totally. Mm.
0: Totally. And in that moment, he's so raw and he's like, well, what can we do? I mean, they've lived through all of that stuff with the flats and all that stuff that getting almost involved in Donahue's corruption. Mm. Um, You know, it's, it's, I find it really hard to critique that in the way that I did. I remember when I watched it when I was 24 Mm. thinking, what an idiot. Mm. Now I'm like, no, because Mm. I think I was probably like young Nikki at the time, Mm. very strong firebrand labor. We can change Mm. things. New labor's on the horizon, Mm. you know, in fact, it was a. Time, it was really interesting because I worked for a management college at the time, and right. at that time in '95, when this was no '96, when this was going out, um, I used to see the Blair cabinet that that came to be come to my college in Oxford because mm-hmm. they were all trained by by people at my college in Oxford. So I'd see people like David Blunkett and all these other people who were all being trained at that time for government by yes these business lecturers yeah and it, it was so so it was really close for me this idea of this new labor being created and part of it mm. was created at the place where i worked which is oh, yeah. weird anyway okay. ha
1: <laughs> <laughs> right should we move on to 74 well, I, I think there are a couple of uh, key points uh, from, from 1970. Uh, th- th- okay. Th- th- from a, from a, from a, a po- point of view is where so- somebody refers to Nicky in a previous incarnation, which has made me smile. <coughs> oh, I see. Because of the Doctor just, Who reference. Just because ha-ha-ha. Because that's yes. the kind of stuff that I pick up on. But I think there's a fascinating uh, bit where uh, Nicky and Geordie are uh, photographing the homeless. Yeah. and Geordie actually basically uh, they have a conversation about the reasons people end up homeless yeah uh, and what the system does to make that happen yeah and Geord- Geordie specifically says at one point nobody has to sleep under a bridge yeah. which considering where his life goes over the yeah. course of the the rest of the episode you also get in this episode uh, the the seeds of tosca's uh, Be- burgeoning before we move business. On to that,
0: before we move on to that can I just carry on with mm-hmm. the tramps thing and just to say, did you spot that they
1: actually have Walensky as one of the tramps in long shot? I didn't notice that. Yeah, but, he, but that was his. It's from him owning the shop and then yeah. having the cake with Geordie in the previous yeah. episode. You see ah. him.
0: You see him briefly in long shot. He's not. Ah, uh, right. He, he, Geordie doesn't recognise that he's there, but he is there, oh, and no. that's also this thing about I think you become invisible when you're homeless. I think that's kind of also. It is cool. kind of weird
1: because I, I I have a vague memory now. You mentioned it of spotting him, and then but obviously I didn't. Yeah. Make the connection at all,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, and then anyway, uh, yeah. and then and, and you also get this is this, this is the 1970s, nineteen seventy is the point where Tosca buys a shop, yes, and, and bankrolled so by Benny, the the seeds of, the seeds, well yes indeed but uh, the seeds of his growth into becoming the. Unpleasant businessman he becomes. Yeah, Tory entrepreneur, on yeah. Because it, it basically, the Tories won in nineteen seventy. We know this, um, yeah. You know, and so a lot of the story, uh, all all their efforts and everything like that. all the depression, all the misery, you know. And also, again, at this point, Mary is still not being very political. You
0: know. No, well, she's got other concerns, hasn't she? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because um, she she goes into, she's follows. Becoming a lawyer for a while, doesn't mm. she? First,
1: yes, because is, isn't one of the targets, um, doesn't that actually end up being Peter Jeffrey's character? Is, yes. that, is that where the bomb, yeah, bomb is sent? Yeah. Yes, so there is, there is another connection there, which and it's not
0: covered by the press. There's an interesting thing about the press there that the mm. press don't cover these. These attacks,
1: these anarchists, yes, yeah, and, uh, and what they do, and they're furious about it. <laughs> you, you, and you start to see this uh, again. It, it's a jigsaw. I mean, the whole plot is a jigsaw puzzle. I mean, really, you know. I mean, yeah. you you could argue that if, if you if you painted if you if you wrote a bit of the plot on on each little jigsaw piece and put it on your wall, you know, you could you could make a very very colourful sort of picture pretty picture. It. yes. but um, but but things do connect, and like you say, maybe there are connections that seem forced but again I, I suspect to a certain extent you could argue that might even come from the stage play roots you know you've got to, you've got to mm. sort of keep the interconnection of the characters you know yeah um and of course you also get geordie at the seaside with um where he meets uh, and seduces this uh girl the woman who works at the yeah. um definitely played of st- by angeline ball yeah uh, who 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 is, is working at the um, horrible B and B. Horrible B and B. And he's been sent to the sent to the seaside because the police are looking for Geordie Peacock. Yeah. Um so yeah, yeah. Is this is this before he comes back and gets Yeah. No, that's right. He comes back in this, doesn't he? And gets Right set at the up. end. Yeah, he gets yeah.
0: Set up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, let's go on to
1: seventy four. After Patrick died. That's yeah. the other thing. You get you get a big funeral at the end of uh, the nineteen seventy, but yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: You and your narrative,
1: right? No, no I'm, ju- I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking that that was quite, quite an important thing. You, it's weirdly because you, you see Tosca singing at the funeral, and it's just moments where Tosca sings, are always and I always think, I, you, whenever you see Nicky in a church, he, he, he resolutely doesn't sing the hymns. Kind of, and uh, so, yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting. Tosca any opportunity to sing in public? And he will,
0: even if it's awful. But that's
1: just an aside Yes, we should move on. yeah Now, do you think that because we get to 1974 and we're now 10 years into the narrative, which is episode five of nine, yeah. so the first 10 years are definitely more intense than the mm-hmm. second 10 years. The second 20 years, really. Yeah. Second 20 years you can't have. Um, no, <laughs> the rest of it.
0: <laughs> so was there a question there?
1: <laughs> no, I'm just saying, do you, do you sense that, 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 because there's so much... Story in episodes one to five, yeah, and yet, and and yet, in the course of the following four episodes, you cover twice as much time. And do yeah. you feel? Do you feel that that is that feels the right balance? If you like, do you feel it
0: does to me? But I think what's also interesting is the direction in the fact in the in the sense that Peter James directed the first five, and then mm. Peter Kathleen Jones directed the next four. Right. And I think there's a definite change of feel between those directors, and I right. think that's partly because Peter Kathleen Jones was directing more about the time he knew, maybe Peter James was directing more about the times that he oh, okay. knew, sort of like when because mm. he was older. Um, yeah. And I just, I just find that there is a slight change in style, but I, I mm. love them both equally, but in different ways.
1: Mm. Well, I was just thinking that ultimately, in terms of the fulcrum of the series, episode five is the midpoint and and there's a lot more plot in the first part than the second part. Or is there? That's the thing. I mean, because there's an awful lot of plot in the second part and it's told over four I hours. Think,
0: I think the first part, the first half, is more about the housing policy in the North and the Met corruption. Mm. And the second half is more about family and personality and relationships and character and but it's all affected by everything that happened before. So. You see,
1: I, see, it's interesting from my point of view that I actually. Uh, it's one of those strange notes you write in the margin when you're going through this. But I feel that this, episode five, is the Peter Vaughan episode,
0: weirdly. Well, the scene I wanted to pull out was the one where um, Eddie and Felix are talking about um, Arthur Watson's seat. Mm. And he asks him what happened to that lad who went to London. And that faint, that brilliant line, which is perhaps one of the best delivered lines in the whole thing, he says he got taught a lesson he never forgot, <laughs>
2: and, and
0: it's just oh, it just sends shivers down my spine because that was that was the thing that turned him away from politics and made him realise that he it, he couldn't make a difference. But then they become like little young men again in that scene, don't they? Because mm. they agree, one more try, you bugger, mm. you know, and they. Mm. Um, and they talk about how they used to fight, fight lads in the big market and all that mm-hmm. and They mm. suddenly the the years fall off them and the way that oh, yeah. the way that that's played between um, David Bradley and Peter Vaughan is just oh just I like to think that they must have had some time to work that out in rehearsal because it was mm. so well done.
2: How long are you gonna sit on your hands? What happened to that lad that marched to London? Eh? He
3: got taught a lesson he never forgot. It's
0: important, you know.
2: Aye,
0: I, I know. We're losing people,
2: man. Young people. Working class lads and lasses. When it came automatic to us, it was in our blood. But uh, it's not like that today. I mean, you hear them. Let it all hang out, brother.
3: Everybody do their own thing. I mean, they believe this shite because nobody, nobody says to them certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Believe it's all corrupt and all.
1: <laughs>
3: Mine have a bloody good right to. Well, then why don't we show them it, isn't it? Eh?
1: It just interests me specifically, I mean, sort of Bradley and Vaughan, you've got these two powerhouse actors. Yeah. And you kind of feel that this is where they turn up. I know they've been in the other episodes, but I just feel that this particular point in the story is all them it, it belongs to them you know yeah I'm, I'm just kind of fascinated by um again you know you could argue that why aren't their names in the you know in the photo montage at the beginning their faces in the photo montage because I mean Peter Vaughan I mean he's playing he's actually playing younger than himself for most of this isn't he um as far as I understand it I mean he must yeah. be you know and uh, and again, his performance sorry, from this point on is just astonishing.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he I mean, rises in this from this point on and he just becomes... Abs- every scene he's in is just totally, utterly gripping and he's just astonishing in the role and I can see why he was nominated for awards. I mean, he should have won them, mm. but, but mm. he's just so brilliant. I think the reason why he didn't is because Eccleston is, is, is very good as well and I think the vote mm. was probably split between them. <laughs> I think mm. that's probably what happened. But um, mm. certainly Eccleston counts Fawn's performance as the best mm. thing in it. He, he, he doesn't think, you know, yeah.
1: It also uh, marks a change in style because it opens with a dream sequence.
0: Oh yes. Yeah.
1: Which is kind of peculiar in, in this. You know, you get Geordie arriving home, he's been in prison. And and it's all a dream, and he's in his cell again. Um, yeah. And of course, then that same scene is, shall we say, mimicked later on, when uh, <laughs> when he actually gets released, or he and he actually comes home, and um, and things are very different to how he yeah. dreamt them. Yeah. So you get the sort of two parallel scenes, and of course, in the middle of this, you get um, two, shall we say, variations on fundamentally joyless sex.
0: Yes, I had a section <laughs> in my notes about sex, and had the mm. different types of sex in it. <laughs> and it's mm. it's something that's probably an interesting sidebar. So, what sex was in this episode particularly?
1: Well, there is the, there's basically the horrible, well, unpleasant man and wife scene with Tosca and uh, of
0: Mary. Of course, yes.
1: Basically, saying my house, my my, you know, and she's saying it's our home, and and you know, you'd, you'd, you'd pay, you would pay other women. And and she yes. expects it for free, kind of thing. And you're ripping me off, and all this kind yeah. of. And this massively unpleasant sex scene follows, uh, which basically, <laughs> in many ways, in in one sort of minute-long sequence, just basically shows you how how unpleasant their marriage has actually become. And I, I imagine
0: there's a lot of people watching that who had a very uncomfortable moment. A lot of couples yeah. watching that thinking about yeah. their
1: lives and stuff. Oh, yeah. What do I get? I pay all the women to look after the kids. Pay all the women to clean the house. What else
3: am I supposed to pay all the women for?
2: Don't they give it free anymore?
3: You're supposed to give it free.
2: Doesn't sound like it.
3: Look, Mary, actually,
1: I don't care what you do anymore. Yeah. and and it kind of runs in parallel with with uh Geordie being seduced by the the girl who now lives in his old flat you know so yes. so so there's a kind of i mean that's possibly joyless too i don't i don't really know but possibly less joyless i don't i, do, I just thought that the the two parallels in the middle and again this is interesting because if we is this this episode would be where there was the break and they went back to the beginning wouldn't there no i think after was... Do you say after, was it between 5 and 6 did yes you they were meant to have 3
0: weeks off and instead right. of having three weeks off, they filmed this episode one again. And the actors oh, were like, right. what? Uh,
1: OK. What about me holidays? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What about me holidays, Beth? What
0: about me wig? <laughs> I'm being growing Yeah. hair. Now, we should just mention about the wigs. Because
1: Christopher hmm. Eccleston, whenever he's interviewed about this, said the wigs were awful. I don't think they are, are they? They're not. Un- I think they photograph worse than they film. Oh, okay. And so what it is, I think possibly it's just that you get lots of embarrassing... You know how that thing where you see pictures of yourself when, you, when you're when 18? You yeah, think, oh, I think that's all God.
0: it is, though. I don't think they're bad. Yeah. that's no, what I and think is...
1: they're actually convincing. It's yeah. just that I think, certainly for Daniel Craig, when he was James Bond, the pictures that kept popping up oh, of, <laughs> of him wearing massive, massive wigs was probably a bit... Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. but I mean that that they, no, I think I think actually the, the continuity must have been a nightmare, quite frankly. Yeah. To uh, in terms of the hairstyles, but I imagine that's why they pay mm. people. You know. I want to talk about the scripting
0: um, between the scenes with Mary and Anthony and you okay. see Tosca as the angry father, wanting him to drum when he just really wants to drum himself, and how many times have I told you, lad, and all mm. this, and. And he's saying to Mary, he doesn't try. And Mary Mm. has that brilliant line.
2: He doesn't want to keep coming second at being you. He wants to come first at being himself. Mm. Oh,
0: and I just think, Peter Flannery, you are a brilliant writer. Honestly, Mm. that is just... Do you remember how we were saying, one of my biggest problems with GBH was that it just wasn't quotable at all. Mm. And there was just so little there to quote. Mm. I find this to be the complete opposite and had this issue, Mm. as I did with Fortunes of War, of just wanting to write every quote down.
1: Well, um, as in terms of them two being t- as two writers, yeah. I mean you, you you get I mean the idea is that I mean certainly uh on Merseyside, you know, the Merseyside poets, the the to a certain extent the Irish poets to a lot of Irish community in, in yeah. Merseyside. Uh the The writers who lived there were constantly picking up on little bits of dialogue here and there. The same with with Flannery in 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 Tyneside. The same with Alan Bennett. You know, they all say yeah. that they've pick they pick up bits and pieces from people. So you could argue that maybe maybe in GBH, the, the by that stage, uh, Bleasdale wasn't hanging around as much with people who spoke those sort of those ways if you like so no, there's no excuse for not having
0: quotable dialogue in your drama i'm sorry however <laughs> i'm sorry i'm not buying that argument
2: but no it i it i
1: and... i just mean it's it's, it's just as, as a as a purely you know from a writing point of view sit, sitting in in cafes and bars and hearing people speak right is is very much part of the game and if if you if you get to a stage in your career where maybe you're not Hearing people in that way, maybe, maybe it does make a difference in the actual words you put down on the page. I don't know. I mean, most people remember stuff from from when they were younger. You know, yeah. uh, you remember stuff you heard on a bus once because it amused you or whatever. You just I just think
0: this. I mean, an- another thing that came out with that Mary and Anthony dialogue there was. Um, Anthony says when they go to bed, he says he's a bastard. It's my ambition to kill him. And <laughs> Mary says we'll talk tomorrow. Discuss weapons. It's just honestly. Sparkling dialogue, Flannery. Mm. Well done, top marks.
1: Do mm. you get the in- interview with Lord Seabrook?
0: <laughs> oh god, he's such a uh, turd, isn't he? God, is. Yes indeed. Is and that Julian course course Fellows? Da-
1: yes. So that's right. Yeah.
0: Writer and of Downton. Had, yeah.
1: And of course it turns out that in the nineteen seventy nine election, uh, his daughter is has obviously not fallen far from the tree, surely. Oh, so, in oh and interestingly. Employment
0: original episode on. 1 featured Claude Seabrook and Claudia. As a girl. Ah, yes, so there you there
1: go. There we go. Huh. So So uh and and obviously a lot of a lot of episode 5 is the campaign that um that uh Eddie Wells wins as an independent labor. Yeah. Uh in uh, when when there's a lot of, shall we say, factionism within the uh, Labour Party itself. Which...
0: Yeah, now this is the thing. This is the message that I think Peter Flannery wants to make about Labour, is how if the Labour Party hadn't always had so many factions and infighting, that it might have actually achieved something. And mm. I do think this is very true. And mm. I always remember a time I did, I did some training in the House of Commons mm. with the information team, with mm. the work I do, and what was fascinating was at the time they were i think it was about two or three years ago and they said they just kn- they could see the difference between the way tory politicians and labor politicians worked and the, in, with their mm. interactions with them in terms of information they wanted mm. and they saw the tories as supremely organized always knew what they were doing which is mm. funny now when you consider the current situation mm. but but the labor politicians just the infighting that they could see from their perspective and how disorganized they were as a result mm-hmm. was something that was just part of their everyday life working at the house of commons. And mm. I just thought it was so interesting that that was something that they could just say as if oh, this is just common knowledge here. This is how it mm. operates and how they're always running around trying to, you know, trying to sort things out and the Tories have got it all pinned down. And I think it, mm. But I think what's fascinating now, and this is going off topic completely, but just mm-hmm. how what has become the current Tory party is actually not conservative at all. It's mm. radicalism and it's terrifying mm. and it's something that mm. it, it never has been ever before. And I just, anyway, that's another point, but I just quite...
1: No, it's, I mean, did you by any chance watch the NT Live of This House when it was on a few weeks no, ago? No, no. No because uh that basically covers the period of the 1974 to the 1979 uh, ah, Labour administration okay. and you know again is depressing as hell as a, as a, as, a, as an old as an old socialist you know yeah <laughs> because it shows that the same old things still yes. when and things never change. there's also uh i think before we just move on there is a certain amount of uh there is a there is a meeting in the middle of episode five where Felix asks for Austin's help with Nicky. Yes. Tells him he needs a push. Austin goes to see Nicky in his his flat. Uh that's because he needs someone, you know, to look up to. And and he basically tells him, you know, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, how he tried to change the world. Yeah. And he and, and he basically is told do it better.
0: <laughs> now everybody forgets inconvenient facts yes they do
3: look at the facts last year Tory businessmen paying themselves hundreds of thousands in golden handshakes the unacceptable face of capitalism it even sticks in Heath's throat Tovey's cabinet ministers have to resign over a vice scandal and what does Heath do about it he sends the fraud squad to talk to me (laughs) me (laughs) and what's so fucking funny about that You're getting soft. It's disgraceful at your age. Instead of sitting here feeling sorry about the world, get out and change it, man. Like you did? At least I tried, Nicky. Edward's filled a little trough with goodies, and you and Connor and all the rest stuck your noses in it. That's all you did, Austin. That's all you achieved. If you think I did it wrong, Nicky, do it better. Get back in the party, man. Build something up. He won't have me. you think they wanted me 30 years ago?
1: Make them have your niggie. Move in on them. That's all I came to say. And then Austin of course is arrested and and, and is removed from the plot from that point on. Yeah. Yeah. And of course at this point also Barrett returns from uh, Spain, is it where he's been hiding? Yeah. So and uh, and this is this this is the episode where, where Geordie goes looking for him around yeah. London. Yeah.
0: I think the thing with Geordie there as well is there's an element whereby the fact that he doesn't get to kill Benny is a turning point in his life and he really wants that and he, he that's yes. his goal and it's the only way he can make yes. sense of everything that's happened. Yeah. And because he doesn't do that, I think that sets him on the path to yes.
1: to falling apart. There's a beautiful scene in that. I don't know whether we can we can f- find that, but there's a beautiful scene in that where he's refused entry to the restaurant so he can shoot him, yes, because he hasn't got a tie. Yes, and he meets and, that and horrible he, and he runs Tory. runs into stuff. three Tory gits in yes. the street. I know. To sell him a tie. Oh God. <laughs> <Bloody> <laughs> yeah. Which I just think is is a great scene in itself. It, yes, it is. Um, it is. What are
3: you? What are you? Sell us your tie. <laughs> sell us your tie. Come on. How much? But first, you have to say whether you voted Tory, (laughs) Because I just can't let this tie go to someone who's not one of us. Well, is this fellow one of us, or is he one of them? I think he's one of them.
0: During recording of this episode on Our Friends in the North, Martin and I realised we had far too much to say about the series to be constrained to just one episode. So we're going to leave our friends now in 1974, and when you join us again in two weeks' time, we'll be covering the drama from 1979 onwards. Until then, take care, and we'll see you next time.